0: I'm Marina Tarasova, and welcome to My Happy Thyroid, your source for all
1: things thyroid health and wellness. My Happy Thyroid is presented by Paloma Health, the first online medical practice focused on living well with hypothyroidism.
2: This month, we are talking about the fundamentals of weight loss. My name is Katie. I am part of the team at Paloma Health. I am co-hosting this event with Mary Showman, who I will introduce to you in just a moment. Um, Paloma Health is an online medical practice focused exclusively on hypothyroidism. Um, And for those of you that are new to us, we offer at-home thyroid test kits, which include uh, TSH, free T3, free T4, and TPO antibodies. We offer virtual consultations with thyroid doctors and thyroid nutritionists, and we also offer um, prescription and supplement management. So that's a bit about who we are and who is hosting this event. Um, Like I said, we're talking about weight loss tonight and we're actually doing something kind of special over this this week and next. We're doing two sessions this month on weight loss. So tonight we have Dr. Puya Shafipour, who Mary will introduce in just a moment. Um, And then next week we actually have Mary and Evelyn D. Dominicus talking about weight loss again and some of the practical things um, you need to do to get your mind and body right before you start on your weight loss journey. Um, so Mary's here with us. Mary is an advisor to Paloma Health. She's a hormonal health advocate. She's a New York Times bestselling author um, and she has Hashimoto's herself. So she is very committed and dedicated to making sure that patients like you have the tools and resources and education that you need to live well with your condition. Um, I'll let Mary take it away in just one second. We uh, have time at the end tonight for live Q&A with Dr. Shafipour, so you'll see a chat feature at the bottom of your screen. Um, You can go ahead and start putting your questions in now as he's speaking or afterwards when we're doing live Q&A. We may not be able to get to all of your questions, but we're going to do our best. We'll try and consolidate um, and get as many questions answered as possible because we know that's the real value. So Mary, I will let you introduce yourself and then introduce Dr. Shafipour.
1: Great, thank you, Katie. It's so much fun to be able to be part of this incredible speaker series with Paloma Health. And we are so committed to getting information out to the thyroid patient community. And tonight we are really thrilled because as Katie said, it's part one of a really special two-part speaker series on weight loss, which is, as many of us know, one of the big challenges for thyroid patients and certainly for people's health in general. Uh, We are looking at really uh, a number of different issues, but tonight we're gonna really dive into the medicine, the physiology, the biology. And as our guest tonight, we have the incredible Dr. Puya Shafipour. Uh, He is a Santa Monica based board certified family medicine specialist who is especially trained with a specialty in obesity medicine. So he is the guy who knows what we want to know about losing weight. Uh, Dr. Shavipur works with medication-based treatments that are uh, uh, complemented by dietary, nutritional changes, behavioral support and exercise and counseling. So the big picture that puts it all together for successful weight loss. Dr. Shafiapur has extensive training from the American Society of Obesity Medicine and has studied with the prestigious Harvard Blackburn Obesity Program. So he's got all of the credentials that we need to know that we are gonna get some really incredible information tonight. So Dr. Shafiapur's practice in Santa Monica focuses on working with patients to develop healthy weight loss and sustainable maintenance of that weight loss. So that's always the, the issue is we can lose it, but can we keep it that way and have a healthy weight for more than just the initial period after that diet? And Dr. Shafipur is gonna tell us more about how that can be done. So without any further ado, I want to introduce and thank Dr. Puya Shafipur for joining us tonight. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for being with us.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that uh, generous introduction. It's my pleasure to be here. And uh, let me see, let me start the slides. So uh, it's my pleasure to be here. And um, uh, yes, as uh, Mary nicely said, I've been uh, practicing obesity medicine uh, for Uh, since 2008 um, about and I use mostly diet and behavioral modification and if necessary different drugs supplements but uh, majority of it is we try to do it through diet and behavioral modification and a lot of um, uh, fasting and uh, different timing of eating and stuff so uh, it's my pleasure to share that with everyone tonight. Uh, our objective is to talk about what, what causes fat gain and weight gain, and uh, what are some of the evidence related to carb restriction to improve health, improve longevity, as well as thyroid function, and how to support these uh, uh, lifestyle changes through fasting and uh, some of the other tricks that we've learned through eating at the, uh, the right time and circadian rhythm. So as we know, uh, dieting is confusing. There's uh, about over six thousand diets out there, and uh, uh, there's a lot of contradictory. You know, do we do low fat, low carb, keto, paleo, vegetarian, vegan? Uh, there's uh, the thousands of different fasts, fasting mimicking. Uh, um, I don't know, uh, cranberry juice fast, celery juice fast. There's a lot of things. So. There's no, um, uh, there's a lot of information and definitely our current weight problem is not just because of lack of effort. Uh, there's more gyms, there's more um, uh, awareness about nutrition, about exercise, but as uh, we know, now about 40% of us are uh, obese, about 60, 65% of us are overweight and um, uh, just this is a really, really big uh, epidemic. And the other side of it that is that food industry spends millions and millions of dollars each year to make the food more satiable, make us go back to it and uh, make the food more, addic- food more addictive, raise the dopamine levels, the addiction hormone. So it's not, it, it is very challenging to lose weight this time. And also not all calories are created equal. So this whole concept of you know a calorie is a calorie, so if you go on a low calorie diet, uh, you should be able to lose weight it does work in short term, but it 's not sustainable because it 's basically ignoring that mindset of what are the effects of different calories on different parts of our body and our, uh, what are the macronutrients that we need to eat at the right uh, amounts so just well, I always start my uh, weight loss consult with imagining you 're just very very hungry you 're starving and you can only pick one type of food. And we have 1,000 calories of chocolate, 1,000 calories of broccoli, which is about uh, 5.7 pounds of broccoli, 1,000 calories of chocolate is about seven ounces, uh, apples, um, as well as rice, or you can pick uh, chips, avocados, and salmon, or some type of animal protein. And if you think 1,000 calories of chocolate, you probably will be able to finish that and most likely, within half an hour, forty-five minutes, you're going to get uh, hungry again. You're going to get very kind of hypoglycemic and crave something more. Probably, if you're having chips, Cheetos, you know, nachos, something like that, same thing is going to happen. That we're going to get hungry again. But with apples, nine apples, nine medium-sized apples is a lot of apples. So uh, it has fiber, it has water, and uh, probably if we can finish it, we're going to feel full for a long time. With broccoli five point seven is that's a lot of broccoli. So probably a cup of broccoli or two cups we're gonna feel full. Broccoli does have calories, just takes a lot of it to get to a thousand calories. With avocados, four avocados are a thousand calories. So half an avocado or two of avocado will probably feel satiated. We feel full because avocado is mostly fat and fiber. And with salmon, 18 ounces of cooked Atlantic salmon is with beef, it's about 10 ounces. So that's a big piece of protein that if we eat that probably for a long period of time, we're going to feel uh, full and satiated. So, type of food, type of calories, and the effect that uh, they have on the body very, very important. And if we look here, both of these um, calories are about 18, uh, both of these meals are 1800. Uh, 70 calories, but the one on the left is a happy meal with a milkshake and a burger and fries. The other one is a lot of food. So you think probably the one on the right, you can eat that the entire day and feel satiated and well, but the one on the left, probably that's a meal. And the type of food is going to make us go for more food and get hungry uh, pretty shortly and the effect that they have on the blood sugar, on insulin in the blood is um, different. So we have to focus on the source of calories and their effect on insulin, and I'm gonna explain why insulin. Timing of food is very important, so we're gonna talk uh, about that towards the end of the talk, and uh, state of one's metabolism, which then goes with insulin resistance and thyroid function, as well as environmental factors. So what is insulin? Insulin is a hormone that when you hear it, you might be thinking about diabetes. Uh, diabetes type one, type two, people are getting insulin shots and stuff. But insulin's main role in the body is it's a growth hormone. So in kids until puberty and a little bit after, we want the insulin levels to go up because it, it causes growth of cells. After that, it's a, basically once we're done growing, we don't want the insulin levels to be very high. In high so it 's primarily a storage hormone, it stores energy, and um, the secondary function of it is it lowers the blood sugar, so diabetics that are type one or uh, or kind of a progressive type two they require insulin to help lower the blood sugar blood glucose. but excess insulin can cause um, growth of cells in um, post so it might grow increased growth of smooth muscle cells that would cause heart disease for coronary arteries get thicker or also it causes uh, cell growth. So we see that in a lot of metabolic cancers such as breast cancer, uh, colon cancer, um, pancreas prostate cancer, esophageal cancer that if the the people are at a high insulin level, they're at more risk of uh, developing cancer. When we look at the way different types of foods affect insulin, so again, if you go back to broccoli, bread, avocados, and salmon, for example, uh, the more simple carbohydrates affect the blood insulin level a lot. So you can think we have a big spike in insulin, the body is storing fat, is is basically gaining weight. Whereas with protein, the bump is still raises insulin, but not as much. And with fat, it barely affects the insulin. So on a higher fat diet, you don't really... Uh, affect the insulin as much and they don't, they make us feel full for a longer period and they're more sustainable. When we eat a lot of carbohydrates, when we go in this kind of uh, excess uh, insulin, uh, with every meal, body releases more insulin than Uh, we cause more growth and we store some of the fat and when there's too much insulin body becomes resistant to it so some cells become resistant some cells go into growth and we develop more insulin resistance which causes more weight gain and if we again look at this from a another view if we uh, consume a lot of carbohydrates body goes into this fat storage because it has all these excess uh, calories that doesn't know what to do with it so liver stores some of it um, in different parts of the body, stomach, fat, muscles, and some of it in, in the liver. And once that's stored, we feel hungry and we go into another fat storage. We eat more, go into another fat storage, and the cycle just continues. So uh, what are these dietary sources? And we're going to the very, very uh, simple sources. Glucose and fructose are a big source of our fat gain mechanism, and uh, uh, both of them are very abundant in our diet. So uh, uh, what, are, what are glucose and fructose, and what are the differences uh, between them? Both of them are simple carbohydrates, so they're uh, kind of end um, um, breakdown, mechan- end cells from breakdown of carbohydrates. And glucose is the energy of life. Body makes glucose from amino acids and fatty acids, so it's not essential. And through a process called gluconeogenesis, we can make it. Fructose is a part of, it's uh, vestigial to our organisms. It's rudimentary. So it's more of a storage form of uh, uh, sugar in uh, plants. And both of them, if we consume a lot of them, they cause aging reaction. You can see this with If you leave an apple or if you leave a a banana out, after a while it gets brown, it ages. When we consume a lot of it, it also makes our body age. It also causes that uh, browning reaction in the body. However, fructose, which is the fruit sugar, causes the browning reaction seven times more than glucose. So it it facilitates uh, aging and inflammation and also causes a fatty liver. Glucose, there's a hunger hormone that's called ghrelin. So basically when the ghrelin levels go up, usually three times a day, uh, we feel hungry. We feel, uh, get the urge to eat. And when glucose, we consume glucose, ghrelin levels drop, but fructose does not affect the ghrelin. That's why if you're having a soda, which has high fructose corn syrup, you can drink 10, 20 ounces of it before you really feel full. Whereas with the Uh, older uh, sucrose um, sodas like Mexican Coke, you might uh, feel full um, faster and uh, earlier. Glucose is metabolized mostly in the brain, an area called sensory motor cortex, but fructose lights up the reward centers, the same place that cocaine and heroin and a lot of addictive drugs and alcohol um, uh, light up. That's why it was such a miracle, the high fructose corn syrup that's cheap was a miracle for the food industry because we keep on going for more and more. What are the sources of fructose? Dried fruits are a big source, Uh, honey, a lot of the sauces are a big source, Uh, soft drinks, uh, salad dressings, um, pastry, and there are a lot of fruits that have a lot of fructose that if you're trying to lose weight or if you wouldn't have been diagnosed with insulin resistance or fatty liver, you want to initially in the weight loss phase um, avoid those. So uh, high fructose uh, um, uh, sugars, you can uh, fruits, you can see more on the left side like bananas and some of the melons and uh, uh, pineapples, dried fruits definitely again but the ones like grapefruit, kiwis, lemons, um, uh, most of the berries and some apples have uh, less fructose. So again, in the weight loss phase, it's better to have the lower fructose uh, fruits. So what you wanna do is to reduce the fructose content. The way to look at the fructose, if you're asking your doctor, we usually measure the fasting blood sugar and we measure hemoglobin A1C, which again are markers of glucose, but for fructose, there's no direct test. So the different ways to look at it would be uric acid levels and the liver enzymes, ALT, and uh, try to get the fructose mostly from whole fruits to cause, uh, to reduce this kind of insulin uh, rise. And exercise drinks, a lot of the exercise drinks uh, and sodas have high fructose corn syrup, um, which is uh, not good for us. So If you look at the current dietary recommendations that has been around since the 90s when the rate of obesity really went up, it's a low calorie diet that is low in fat, uh, but does include uh, vegetables, legumes, fruits, a lot of fruits, whole grains, and fat free or low fat dairy and plant-based oils. And it's limited in animal protein, saturated fat, trans fat and added sugars. And typical recommendation is to have three meals and two snacks and try to work out about 30 minutes a day, five days a week. But what we've seen since the 90s is that the weight uh, gain and the obesity and overweight has significantly gone up. If you look at the uh, food pyramid that again has been around since the uh, late 90s, very, very heavy uh, concentration of uh, whole grains and uh, some fruits, vegetables. And then when we go to fats and fatty sources, it's much, much less, but Again, what we've seen is we've gotten bigger, we've gotten we've developed more abdominal fat. So we can tell that the current dietary recommendations are uh, failing us. And to adhere to a low calorie, low fat diet in long term is is hard. It's not. It's challenging. If you think about diet, the first three letters die. So. Our brain automatically wants us not to die. So we need to think about something that's sustainable and we can stay on for long term. So when I talk about uh, lifestyle, I said, you know, you have to think about with patients about lifestyle that is a marathon. We, we focus on a long-term plan that initially might be a little bit more restrictive and challenging. Once your body gets used to it, starts uh, utilizing the internal fats, then it gets easier. And we look at this as a sustainable. Multiphasic um, program. And our body is an expert in, uh, in storing fat through insulin, but unfortunately, we never get to utilize this fat. And limiting carbohydrates, glucose, fructose, simple starches really helps the body get into this fat burning uh, mechanism that's called uh, ketosis. So fat, fatty cells, when they're released, they, some of them are used for energy right away in the form of free fatty acids. Some of them go into the uh, liver cells and are turned into ketones and our body gets into ketogenesis. And um, uh, the ketogenesis everyone gets into. So if you get an early blood test in the morning and give urine, Mo- mostly fasting urine has a little bit of ketones, but depending on the diet you're on, you can get into this stage uh, more. What is the difference between ketones and glucose? Ketones, as we can see here, release a little bit more calories, so they 're more sustainable form of energy they 're antioxidant and they um, uh, enhance age promoting cells and they burn slower, so we don 't go into this roller coaster feeling hungry, whereas glucose does promote aging. It is used by all the cells in the body, but does promote aging, and it is something that, if the body needs it, it can make it from uh, fatty acids and amino acids through gluconeogenesis. Ketones can be used by all the body cells, can be by muscles, it can be used by um, joints, and usually when we're burning fat, we feel more sustainable. We'll feel less inflamed. So when people go into even milder stages of uh, ketosis, they feel they have more energy and they have less joint pain and they have less inflammation. There are a lot of um, old uh, tribes that are still uh, on very, very high-fat diets like the Inuits and Maasai warriors, and the rate of heart disease and diabetes in these societies is extremely, extremely low. So what constitutes a low carb diet? Because when I talk about ketosis, a lot of you might immediately think about, oh my God, it's Atkins, it's a lot of, uh, I don't know, bacon and sausages and fat and stuff. No, so anything under, there's no real definition, but anything under 120, 130, or even 100 100 grams of carbohydrates is considered a low carb diet. Uh, Standard American diet is about 300 grams of, carbohydrates at least half of that if not a little bit more it's not a high protein diet because a lot of people again think it's a protein diet so average um, person that's on a low carb diet consumes about 10 to 14 ounces of protein but it depends on the age and physical activity of the person but it does consume uh, uh, contain more fat and the fat could be from animal protein but there are vegetarian and vegan Ketos could be saturated fats, monounsaturated fats like avocados, olives, macadamia, and nuts um, as well. So if we look, again, lots of vegetables, some animal protein, eggs, and uh, natural fats and cheeses, but depending on the type of low carb, this could uh, vary a little bit. So what are the different types of low carb? There's the ketogenic diet that could be anywhere from 10 to 50 grams of carb, and in extreme, Forms it's used uh, initially was used to treat uh, resistant um, epilepsy for pediatric population and still uh, common. Um, also, Atkins was a ketogenic diet about twenty grams. We use it now for Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, some brain cancers like glioblastoma, and we also use it for treatment of some uh, cancers in uh, addition to chemotherapy. Paleolithic diet is a low-carb diet, autoimmune protocol that some of you might be familiar with for treatment of autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's is a paleo uh, diet with specific uh, things that we're gonna go over. Mediterranean diet is low-carb, zone was one of the original low-carb diets and some vegan and vegetarian. So I think um, ketotarian is the vegan ketogenic diet. When we look at the macronutrients in the low-carb diets, I'll go through them one by one, but carbohydrates, again, are the source of energy. There are building blocks, but as I uh, said before, it's not essential. Our body can make carbohydrates through um, amino acids and fatty acids through this uh, process of gluconeogenesis. So the recommendations on a low-carb diet would be non-starchy vegetables, some nuts and seeds, some berries, Dairy has lactose, which is a form of sugar fiber, which is free in uh, any type of low carb diet because it's it's a good filler and reduces the absorption of sugar. And some legumes, Uh, legumes have a lot of fiber and whole grains. And we wanna avoid uh, really sweet uh, fruits and uh, alcoholic drinks that have a lot of sugar and simple white uh, starches and obviously chocolate soda processed food. Protein. So, protein uh, uh, is basically the building blocks of proteins are amino acids, and there's nine of them that are essential. And our body uses them to make hormones, enzymes, uh, tissue maintenance, repair, growth, and immune cells are proteins. So, these are essential, and we need to get them from different sources. And uh, fat are a source of energy. So, again, fatty acids like omega uh, 3 and omega 6, which are linoleic and linolenic acid, those are essential and we don't make them ourselves. Cell walls are made out of fat, insulation in the body, fat soluble vitamins, and also fat basically is a source of energy and protects the vital organs. So a typical low carb diet, if it's uh, pescatarian or uh, ketogenic would look something like this. If you're vegetarian or vegan, would look more something like, uh, uh, like this. So definitely has a lot of vegetables, healthy oils, um, healthy sources of fats, and uh, if you're going up to um, 100 grams, it could be some uh, whole uh, grains and legumes in there as well. And this is uh, kind of a keto uh, vegan diet that is uh, getting uh, popular as well. And the autoimmune protocol, again, uh, is a paleolithic diet, so it is a low-carb diet, uh, Includes vegetables, but except nightshades, tomato, potatoes, peppers, and eggplants, as well as uh, fermented food, lean meats, a small amount of fruits and oils, and also it's very low in grains and legumes and uh, uh, dairy, uh, as well as eggs. It is a diet that's shown with celiac and a lot of autoimmune diseases to show a lot of uh, benefits the uh, what are the some of the side effects of the ketogenic diet when or low carb diets when you go on it depending on how much carb you are your body starts secreting a lot of salt starts with what we call diuresis so the first couple of weeks muscle cramps headache uh, sleep problems maybe heart palpitations hypoglycemia because body is weaning out of blood sugar are common but having a little bit of extra salt like sea salt or pink salt and hydrating and taking it easy should reduce the stuff. It kind of gives a little bit of flu-like symptoms that are temporary. If people are on any type of medications, like for diabetes, high blood pressure, definitely this is something that needs to be done under supervision of a doctor because uh, some of the medications might need to be uh, weaned off. now we're shifting gears and going to Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's, as a, m- a lot of you might be familiar, it's one of the most chronic autoimmune diseases, and it's uh, interaction between genetic and environmental factors and high iodine, selenium, selenium and iron deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, and high glucon- uh, gluten uh, content of food have been contributing factors. And A lot of people, despite being on medication, especially the most common medication would be levothyroxine, they still have symptoms uh, of hypothyroidism and uh, fatigue and a lot of um, things that was impacting their quality of life. So uh, they always complain that just being on medications is not uh, effective. They did a study with the AIP diet. uh, that showed the Hashimoto's significantly improved physical and emotional functioning of people and reduced the C-reactive protein, but it doesn't, didn't really affect much in the thyroid uh, function. So, but quality of life goes on, but thyroid function was addressed more with uh, medications. Uh, one of the common perceptions that I see as a um, uh, primary care doctor and also as a, a weight loss specialist is that hypothyroidism is responsible for obesity, especially when you look up hypothyroidism, weight gain is uh, one of the side effects. But what we see in practice is that, yes, if someone has overt hypothyroidism, if the TSH is really high, 10, 50, 20, 100, uh, uh, 20, 30 pound weight gain is possible, but there isn't much evidence with subclinical the numbers that are like three or five or 10 or uh, up to 10 that uh, causes hypothyroidism. In obese patients, the TSH might be a little bit uh, higher. So we need to check the TPO to diagnose uh, hypothyroidism. Now we go to the other methods, other exciting stuff that are around. So what is medical fasting? It's not eating fast food, obviously. So fasting means we're, um, we're basically limiting food intake to anything more than 12 hours in a day. And it's been around forever, a lot of religions do it. And more time goes by, we've seen, initially we thought that body would go through this um, starvation mode and fasting had a lot of uh, poor outcomes on the body, but now we see it has a lot of benefits in longevity and also making, makes dieting, makes adhering to the diet a lot easier. There's a lot of benefits. It causes autophagy, which is destroying the bad cells, causes the stem cells to go up, rises in ketosis to help with fat burning, energy diversion, and it's also really good for resetting DNA, resetting metabolism, and for gut um, microbes, uh, for the gut flora. So there's different ways to do it. The most common one is probably what we, people call intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating that you limit the food intake to an eight hour window. There's also, you can extend that to 24 hours, which would be called the OMAD or one meal a day diet. Fasting mimicking diet that I'll refer to in a little bit later is a common one. And people do longer water fast. We've had patients do all the way up to like 45 days of water fast, but very, very rare cases. So in the time restricted, which is the most common one, usually water, coffee, tea is okay in the fasting time. Hopefully half of it, you'll be sleeping, but the other uh, parts is two meals and a snack. So what we can see is the body will be in a state of fat burning and uh, ketosis. And with the two meals, we'll get an insulin bump and then a drop. Uh, So hunger level really goes down. With the five two two 2 days a week, either back-to-back or separate, we uh, eat one meal a day, usually under five to 600 calories, uh, depending on the gender, and then the other days would be a healthy uh, diet. Fasting mimicking diet is by uh, Dr. Longo at USC was developed. He studied, basically, longevity in the blue zones, and he noticed that prolonged fasting, which is not very uh, easy to do, had a lot of benefits and stem cell, Rejuvenation and um, um, blood sugar control and cancer prevention so he came up with this fasting mimicking diet that's five days and basically the uh, the content even though we're tricking the body and having between 700 to a thousand calories it goes under the nutrient sensing radars and also we get a lot of stem cell production um, it really works really really well for women between forty to 60 when they're in this pre and menopausal um, uh, age, and they're struggling to lose weight, we usually mix it with some type of a low carb diet. And it's five days, it usually includes two soups and a, a nut snack, and also um, has some uh, olives and um, crackers, patty crackers. It's not a ketogenic diet, it's a vegan, low carb, uh, low protein diet, but it does put the body to a little bit of ketosis. In terms of thyroid function, so for a normal person, when they fast, we've seen that the T3, which is the active thyroid hormone, goes down and the reverse T3, which is the inactive one goes up. But for someone who's on thyroid medicine, it makes the uh, thyroid medicine, especially T4, which would be levothyroxine, more um, active. Also for Hashimoto's patients, because we get so much reduction in inflammation, it kind of complements an anti-inflammatory diet. So the patients feel better, the joint and a lot of the symptoms of the uh, Hashimoto's go down. Last topic is the circadian rhythm or the biological clock. So as humans, we are diurnal. We're supposed to be um, awake during the day, um, uh, asleep at night. And what studies have shown is that timing of eating is very, very, very important. So each hour of the day, it really is important what we eat um, um, in different hours. The metabolism is different. So we wake up in the morning, the, uh, basically metabolism starts, uh, melatonin, which is the sleep hormone goes down when we see the light, serotonin, which is the happiness hormone goes up. And metabolism kind of starts around 10 or 11, and it's optimized between 10 or 11 and about uh, three to four. And then as the sun starts uh, going down, then the pancreas starts going down and melatonin starts going up and body goes into the sleep. So there is an ideal time for eating, exercise, taking certain medications. And people that eat later at night, when the body is supposed to be asleep, they have more insulin resistant and Um, uh, weight loss will be more of a challenge. And a lot of these studies was from rats. Rats are nocturnal. When they kept traps during the day and fed them a fattening food, they gained weight and they um, uh, basically stopped running. But when they fed the same type of food um, at night when they were supposed to be eating, they didn't really have an effect on them and their weight stayed stable and they became leaner. So uh, a disrupted uh, clock, will cause the poor sleep quality, which sleep is very, very important. And uh, hormone regulation also causes insulin resistance and uh, mood uh, kind of disrupts all the hormones. So very, very important for us to eat during the day and try to get really uh, good sleep for um, hormone balance. So what we discuss is not all calories are um, created equal, and we have to really focus on what calories are ideal to affect our blood insulin level and also excess glucose and fructose, especially a lot of high fructose corn syrup and refined uh, snacks and drinks are, they cause insulin resistant? can cause fatty liver and fatty liver causes inflammation. And also in long-term they can cause risk of cancer. Low carbs diets have been shown to be very, very um, effective ways to reduce inflammation. And uh, there's different ways to uh, reduce the carbohydrates. So it's not just a carnivore type diet. There's multiple different ways and anything under 100 uh, grams of carbohydrates for different people should work. Uh, Thank you so much. And I'm uh, happy to take your questions.
1: Thank you, Dr. Shapipur. That is absolutely fascinating information. And I have to say we've done a number of these speaker series, and we usually get some good questions. We have a long list of really great questions. Everybody is dying to ask you all sorts of information. So I think we're going to jump right into the questions, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, There are no particular order, and if if I pass by somebody, Katie and I were doing our best to cover all the questions, but if we've missed it, certainly circle back around uh, folks who are, are watching. So, the first question is regarding snacking. Uh, a lot of people love their snacks, and one of our viewers wanted to know about what you recommend for snacks because she said she's often eating a piece of fruit and alone uh, as a snack, but wondering if something with less sugar, less fructose, more fat, or other macronutrients might be a better choice to avoid storing more fat.
0: Absolutely. So snacks are, we want to think about snacks as little desserts. So before snacking, we always have to think, okay, am I snacking because I'm bored? Or am I snacking because I'm stressed or anxious? Or do I really need to snack right now? Because a lot of time we snack because the blood sugar drops. And if we're anxious, cortisol level goes up. So body goes into the fight or flight and we crave something and usually for snacking we crave something sugary so if and snacking is also genetic there's some uh, uh, companies that do genetic testing and we can see if you have the snacking gene or not I know I do because I got it tested so if by nature you're a snacker uh, again we go to the very very beginning of the talks thousand calories of uh, broccoli is five six pounds of broccoli so have a big bowl of vegetables: broccoli, celery, cucumber, uh, cauliflower. You know, whatever you like. Have a, a little dip of uh, Greek yogurt or Baba ghanoush, not hummus, if you're trying to lose weight, and use that as a snack because thousand calories of uh, vegetables—it's very the barely affects the uh, insulin. But if you're snacking on fruits or especially dried fruits that are really really high fructose, it could be uh, problematic and can really, really impact uh, uh, weight loss efforts.
1: Okay, great. Good advice. Uh, Here's another question that relates to snacking. A lot of us, when we are on the run or we're looking for a quick snack, we think we're being really healthy when we grab a protein bar. And yet, if you look at the labels on protein bars, a lot of them have high fructose corn syrup and Mm. other ingredients that we want to avoid. What's your take on protein bars or power bars or meal bars?
0: Yeah. So a lot of those bars are very high in uh, fructose, high fructose corn syrup. They're also calorie dense. And, you know, bars are small, so it doesn't really give us a lot of volume. So if you're exercising or if that's your meal, sometimes that's healthy, but if we're using it as snacks, uh, that could get very uh, problematic because also they're very delicious. You know, I know a lot of these like Think, Think Thin, Atkins, Power Bar, they are tasty, so we need to be conscious. And if we are exercising, we can have a little bit of sugar and, and protein, but if we're using it as just a to-go, again, it could be uh, dangerous. So. For those instances, I would recommend have some, have a little bit of avocados. You know, half an avocado you can cut, or have some egg whites, or something that doesn't affect the blood sugar or barely affects it, and is satiating. It makes us feel uh, full and drink some water. You know, green tea is a great thing to also throughout the day um, uh, have because it has catechins that suppress appetite. A little bit of um, Uh, caffeine as well, and it uh, suppresses appetite.
1: Okay. Um, Now, talking about suppressing appetite and getting satiety, uh, one of our uh, viewers wants to know about the different fats. So we know olive oil is good, olives are good, avocados are good. Wanted to know about grass-fed butter and the cholesterol impact of some of these fats? Is it, is it a problem for your cholesterol levels? And what about that grass-fed butter, which is, uh, I know it's one of my favorites and a lot of people love it.
0: Mm-hmm. So the fat, the cholesterol in the blood, the cholesterol that your doctor will check the LDL that we all are scared about, uh, the lipoprotein that's not, the, it doesn't have, is not directly related to the fat or cholesterol we eat because that's the cholesterol the liver makes. The fat that we eat basically raises the triglycerides, goes into the liver, and then the liver starts metabolizing it. So for someone that's on a really low carb diet, and if they don't have familial have that is a, a genetic condition, having grass-fed butter or grass-fed because it's healthier, doesn't have hormones and stuff on a setting of a low carb diet usually does not affect the cholesterol except for people that either have familial or people that are really lean. But, um, again, we have to look at the family history we have to look mm-hmm. at a lot of different uh, things, but I know a lot of people are having, for example, um, high fat, uh, uh, what is it? Like a bulletproof coffee with, uh, right. ghee or clarified butter and, mm-hmm. uh, Um, uh, coconut oil if you're trying to lose weight that might not be the way because a bulletproof coffee is like three four hundred calories but it is good for mental clarity because the body that fat directly turns into ketones so if you're checking your blood ketones it will raise it and it Mm -hmm. helps with uh, uh, appetite suppression but calories do count if you're excessively using them and you're not burning uh, burning it On a low-carb diet, we're forcing the body to use our stored calories. So when people go on a low-carb diet, usually the amount of calories we're taking goes down if we're really uh, metabolizing and utilizing our own time.
1: Okay. Uh, Speaking of calories, what about diet sodas and artificial sweeteners? Uh, One of our our, uh, viewers wanted to know, can I have that occasional diet soda? What about those Diet Cokes, Diet Pepsis? What's your take on the pink and the blue and the yellow packets?
0: Yeah, so a few things. First of all, they're processed. There is uh, uh, some research about aspartame and autoimmune diseases. Aspartame, which is in Coke Zero diet, Coke, a lot of diet sodas have aspartame. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, it might make you more hungry. So it, it might not really trick the body as calories. They did a study a few years ago between a year of someone having, I think it was in England, uh, regular Coke versus Diet Coke, and there was no weight difference. So even though one person was having 30, 40 grams of sugar more than the other, uh, and aspartame, there is um, data about uh, the, ben- the harms of it uh, on the body overall. Uh, stevia um, and um, uh, sucralose a little bit less, but sucralose is also it's kind of a sugar that doesn't get absorbed, so it might make you crave more. Uh, sugar. I know when I have Coke Zero or Diet Coke that I used to have a lot of it, um, I would get hungry. So a lot of these, even though they don't have sugar, they make you crave a little bit of sugar and they don't necessarily make us uh, satiated. So it would be better to wean off of them uh, overall.
1: Okay, great. Uh, One question that has come up, and I, I know that I had it and a couple of other of our viewers had similar questions, is the issue of the protein sources and um, what my question re- relates to the issue of beans because I know personally as a thyroid patient with Hashimoto's if I make beans one of my primary proteins I gain weight on beans um, then we also have the issue of soy because a lot of people then say well I'm gonna have soy burgers and soy patties and soy protein and miso and tofu and they go soy crazy and then we have people that have issues with that, with their thyroid. So, what are the good protein sources that are non-meat based, in your opinion, for optimal weight loss?
0: Uh, first of all, we don't need a lot of protein for uh, for weight loss. Like I said, mm-hmm. on an average, uh, you know, uh, ten ounces of protein, unless we're exercising a lot mm-hmm. overall we eat way too much protein than we we should. And at a high protein setting, the body proteins are building blocks of amino acids. So we are putting ourselves at risk of developing cancers and stuff because cancer Mm -hmm. cells use protein. That's why a lot of these longevity and blue zones, they notice that the protein content of their diet is a lot lower than us. Pea protein, rice protein, hemp protein, uh, from eggs, whey, you know, those are, healthy sources and are anti-inflammatory. If someone is not vegetarian, obviously um, uh, from fish and uh, grass-fed beef and uh, chicken, I usually recommend varying the diet uh, Mm -hmm. because always eating the same thing. If you do a food sensitivity test, if you're on the same food every day, you'll see that a lot of things light up. That doesn't mean you're allergic to it. It just means the immune system is just getting too much signal from the same food. Mm-hmm. So varying it, hemp, but hemp protein, rice protein are are great choices. So soy is very engineered. So, but fermented soy is a little bit better than non-fermented mm-hmm. soy. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, excess soy protein, especially it really raises the estrogen level mm-hmm. and stuff. A lot of men that are on the high soy protein, we see the testosterone level uh, drop as well. C10 also sometimes is good, but it does have gluten. So Mm -hmm. uh, people with gluten sensitivity need to avoid it.
1: And what about the beans? Because that, I mean, we're told beans are so healthy, they're high fiber, they're high protein, but it doesn't, and I know some people- Beans do
0: have carbs. Yeah, Yeah. legumes have a lot of uh, carbohydrates. Also, some people will um, kind of, it causes a lot of bloating. So if you're Mm -hmm. having beans, you have to, make sure, especially a lot of us have small intestine bacterial overgrowth, mm-hmm. which is fairly common. So beans and legumes and those people cause this problem. So sometimes I recommend people take some probiotics like Saccharomyces boulardii, which helps with uh, absorption of it and the metabolism of it. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, beans in terms of weight loss, especially on the first phase of weight loss is not Um, um, It's not because of the high carb content, Mm -hmm. quinoa also, a lot of people just go quinoa crazy and uh, uh, they um, will gain weight because it does have a lot of carbs so they have to be watchful of it.
1: Okay, Uh, we have a question here from one of our viewers about the issue of the cruciferous and goitrogenic vegetables because there's always a lot of back and forth about it and we know that broccoli, cauliflower, these are really super healthy foods. Um, but we also know if we are uh, juicing cauliflower and, and uh, kale every day in a raw form, we can actually slow the thyroid down. So where mm-hmm. do you stand on this? Because um, people need to know that they can eat some of these foods, but in what way do you think is it makes most sense for, for us? Uh,
0: what I've uh, seen practically with my patients is that if you're consuming a lot of these, if you're juicing. I'm not a big fan of juicing just because you're taking away a lot of the fiber and you're making more of the fructose available. Fiber mm-hmm. reduces the absorption, so it helps uh, with uh, uh, getting less spike in uh, glucose and fructose. But my, if you're on a thyroid medicine, you need to be consistent with the amount of cruciferous vegetables that you eat, because that's how we can see if the dose of your I don't know, porcine thyroid or levothyroxine or cytomel is um, is, um, kind of uh, consistent. But Mm -hmm. if not, then we kind of honestly go with the symptoms. If people are having symptoms of fatigue and lethargy and we check the levels, then we can uh, adjust, um, go over their diet and adjust. But I'm not a big fan of having anything in excess and just go crazy with cruciferous vegetables and have a lot of it and not have it for a while. So if you're having it consistently, shouldn't have an effect. Uh, well, I haven't seen personally much of an effect on the thyroid function.
1: Okay. Great. Um, we also have a question about the gallbladder because I think we've got a few folks in our in the group today who ha- have had their gallbladders taken out in the past, mm-hmm. and they're wondering what impact that may be having on the ability to lose weight, fatty liver, and even thyroid function and metabolism as well.
0: Mm, well, the one of the side effects of fat loss when people go on a uh, diet and if depending on how rapidly they lose weight might be gallstones. And we in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, we've only had one person that and he didn't get to need to get his gallbladder removed immediately, but after six months. Uh, but once the initially when someone is having gallstones and gallbladder issues, it might impact the the weight loss. But after they've they've removed the gallbladder I personally haven't seen a lot once the body adjusts because body goes from releasing the bile on a, a which is stored in gallbladder mm-hmm. um, uh, you know you we eat fatty foods the hormones release and we release it on demand to the liver getting adjusted to releasing bile on demand some people might need more bile acids or bile salts, salts or digestive enzymes than others depends on their reaction to a uh, food, but in general with a very high fat diet, so really ketogenic diet, they might have issues, especially if they have uh, gallstones, and I'm usually not a fan of those unless someone has a bipolar or they're on a, um, seizures, You know, something that we're right. putting one really high, and usually I don't manage those patients, but I'm more of a, a low-carb Mediterranean um, uh, diet, and uh, I haven't had issues with those personally. Okay, great.
1: Um- What about, uh, uh, and several of our folks want to know about dairy. Do they really, should they really be thinking about cutting out all dairy or do we leave in fermented dairy like the yogurts or kefir? I mean, how do we, how do we manage the dairy issue and still try to lose weight?
0: So uh, great question. So milk, I usually say avoid it, you know, where milk has uh, lactose, it has sugar and it's, inflammatory. For some people that have very high uh, cholesterol levels, usually if they're uh, dairy, especially cheese and not some I haven't seen a lot of issues with yogurt, but cheese might spike the LDL a lot. So in those people, I usually recommend cutting dairy and eggs to see how it affects it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dairy is, uh, cheese is a low carb, higher fat uh, product and it does help with appetite suppression. So for most of the people, it's okay, but people with inflammation, especially with other immune diseases, joint inflammation, uh, usually if you cut dairy, also with allergies, sinus allergies, if you cut dairy, you'll see benefits. Uh, In terms of yogurt and uh, kefir, which are fermented, Mm For majority of people, um, uh, they do well on it, Uh, Mm -hmm. but vegans, obviously, we switch them to cashew cheese or cashew or coconut yogurt, and they do well, but I really recommend having fermented foods as a um, uh, part of a healthy diet, and usually, uh, uh, there are easy ways to get in if you're not wanting to have probiotics.
1: Mhm. Okay. And we've got time for like another one or two questions. Um one of our uh listeners viewers wants to know about uh the potential downsides of any kinds of intermittent fasting or timed eating on hypothyroidism because Her doctor may have suggested that it wasn't good for people with an underactive thyroid to do any kind of timed eating or uh, fasting protocols. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, um,
0: um, I I have a lot of patients with hypothyroidism that are doing it and uh, again with Hashimoto's patients, especially people with hypothyroidism that fatigue, we see uh, great benefits. And if you're on a thyroid supplement, uh, like uh, levothyroxine or armor, nature, you know, those forms, it usually makes the absorption better. But at the same time, there is research that shows t free T3, T3 does go down. Does that mean the body, we feel more lethargic and fatigued? Honestly, I haven't seen that because we're utilizing ketones. We think because the body is utilizing ketones, thyroid doesn't need to work as hard when we're Doing some type of uh, fasting. So, um, 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 you know, I, I recommend it. Uh, prolonged fasting, uh, there's not a lot of research uh, out of it. With Prolon, what I personally have seen is that if I put someone with Hashimoto's on Prolon, there is a good chance with younger people that we reduce the dose of their medications. I had a, a female, uh, 37, 38 year old that was on 200 micrograms of levothyroxine. And in eight months, we basically were able to wean her off of it. And wow. she lost about, I think, 70 pounds. Amazing. But She she had Hashimoto's from uh, Lyme disease mm-hmm. uh, that she got in uh, New England, I think, or Connecticut. And, uh, Basically, Hashimoto's resolved with, uh, with the fasting-mimicking diet and a ketogenic diet.
1: Terrific, terrific. All right, we've got two more questions uh, before we finish up. Um, and my last sort of technical question is one that comes up all the time with our thyroid community, and that's the issue of do I need to cut out gluten? if I want to lose weight, Uh, especially for both hypothyroid patients, but in particular, the autoimmune, the Hashimoto's patients or the Graves' disease patients who've been treated and are now hypothyroid. Is gluten a no-no or is is there a a role for some gluten in the diet? What's your take on that as far as weight loss is concerned?
0: Okay. So for weight loss, if you're going gluten-free, but you're not going completely off of uh, legumes and starches, gluten-free foods statistically have more carbohydrates. So if you're getting gluten-free bread and gluten-free products, you're probably not going to lose any weight. If not, you might gain weight because gluten-free products, statistically, gluten is a glue. So it's a protein that glues things together and it's Mm -hmm. more satiating. So if you're trying to lose weight just by going gluten-free, and I have a lot of people that say, you know, I went gluten-free and I didn't lose weight you know, you're not going to lose weight. Usually low carb diets don't have any grains or legumes initially. So they are gluten-free. So, you know, all the the, uh, grains are down, but for Hashimoto's for inflammation. So as we saw the research has shown people that go on a gluten-free diet, they do feel better in terms of joint pain and inflammation and bloating and a lot of the, so they The quality of life goes down. C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker, goes down. And another thing that's important for us to realize about gluten is that gluten in the U.S. is a lot more processed than if you're having gluten, let's say, in Italy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you might feel bad here, but you might go to Europe and have beer or have uh, pasta and be like, I feel great. It's because of the processing. It's not the gluten itself, but the way they process it.
1: Okay, great. And then uh, the last question that we're getting is from uh, some folks who want to know if there's a way that they can get in touch with you because I think you've got a lot of people that are looking to, uh, to work with you. And uh, so I'm going to let uh, Katie jump in on this too. And, um, but how do people get in touch with you? Where do they find you?
0: uh, I'm in primary care and I do uh, obesity medicine. I see a lot of thyroid patients. I'm also part of Paloma. So I see patients through Paloma as well. So if you're in Los Angeles, you can book a visit and and see me. And also you can reach me uh, if you're in California uh, through uh, Paloma Health as well.
1: Fantastic. So I think that we are uh, coming up to the end of our one-hour uh, webinar, and this has been an outstanding session, Dr. Shafipour. Thank this, you. You have just really, uh, I mean, I learned so much incredible information, and I think we could have gone another two hours with all the questions that we have coming mm-hmm. in, but I want to let people know, too, um Dr. Shafipour uh, got us started, and then next week we'll do part two where we're gonna get into more of the nitty gritty on some of the questions that you have about what fillers are in what thyroid meds and how to keep track of this and that. So we'll be getting into a lot of those additional details and talking about what's working and what's not working as thyroid patients. So make sure you jump in with us next week, same time. Uh, and we'll be doing another session, so stay tuned because we'll have information for you on how to sign up for that uh, fairly soon. So thank you, Dr. Shafipur, so much for- uh, Thank you
0: so much, everyone. For... I really enjoyed it as well.
1: And I'm gonna turn it back over to Katie uh, to
2: take us out for the evening. Thanks, Mary, and thank you, Dr. Shafipur, um, if anyone's interested in learning more about Dr. Shaffipore or Paloma Health doctors, you can go to www.palomahealth.com. We will send out a replay tomorrow with this event and we will include an invitation to next week's event. So all of Dr. Shaffipore's slides will be included in that replay. I've seen that question come up a couple times. Um, and then we hope you'll join us again next week to ask more questions and learn more from Mary and Evelyn. So thank you all for being here and for giving us time on your Monday night and we'll see you soon.
0: Thanks
2: everybody. Enjoyed it. Happy Thyroid is
1: presented by Paloma Health, the first online medical practice focused on living well with hypothyroidism. You can go to PalomaHealth.com to learn more.